What a great message in song. What a great question. What is your answer to him? He's waited and he's called you. Uh, He's made the payment through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And then what is your answer to him? Tonight, we're going to look at a topic in Revelation chapter 19 that is the culmination of, of God's call for his son, Jesus Christ, and the hope of that calling. Uh, what is the hope of the calling of the Lord? What was the hope of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came and he died? Um, and we could say, well, his, his, the hope of his calling was that people would be saved. And that, that would be a correct answer. Uh, that would be a brief answer, but that would be a correct answer. Um, when we think of our salvation, we often think of the day that we trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And frankly, the day that you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, it was settled that day once and for all. It was settled. Your soul was secure. Um, sometimes people wonder and they fear, you know, am I really saved or did I really mean it or I'm not living like it? But truly, once a person is genuinely born again, their salvation is secure for all of eternity from that point on. But there's coming a special day in the future, and it hasn't happened yet, when your salvation and my salvation is going to be completed. And I could say it that way. Uh, Nobody talked to, at least I don't remember, Mom and Dad, if you talked to me about this when you were teaching me what it was to be saved as a young boy. But uh, I don't believe my mom and dad ever talked to me about the marriage supper of the Lamb, (laughs) okay? And uh, most of the time, at least in none of our gospel tracts, is there any reference to the marriage between the Lamb, uh, which is the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ, and the bride, which is the church. Um, All believers, uh, all true believers everywhere. Now, not... That what I didn't say was uh, all people who, are, who attend church. I didn't say that. I said all true believers of the church age. That is from about the time of Pentecost until the rapture, okay? When the Lord Jesus Christ catches believers to be with him in the air. And then, of course, and we don't have the timeline behind me tonight. However, you've seen it enough to know There's that period of time where the church is going to be raptured, it's going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, And then there's seven years of really horrific events that take place on the earth. We call it the tribulation period. Near the end of the tribulation period, just before it ends, there's going to be an invitation given to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be a wedding or, uh, in heaven, uh, a coming together of two parts. And that one part is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bride of Christ, the church, all true, genuine, born-again believers who were saved during the church age. That's during the time frame that you and I are living. And so, in other words, what I'm saying is this. We've been looking at a lot of things that are prophetic. They have yet to come A lot of it's been about the tribulation period, horrible, awful events. And some of us have thought, you know, how does this this have any influence on me or what I do? Or I'm not going to be there for that. Many of us might have thought things like this. But I want to tell you something. The marriage of the lamb and the the bride and the bridegroom, Christ and the church, you're going to be there for. And uh, you're going to be a participant in that, that, that ceremony. And then following that, there's going to be, like there often is when, in weddings here in America, after the bride and groom have exchanged vows and they become, they're pronounced husband and wife, then what do we do? We all go down to the fellowship hall and we have a meal, a supper, right? And, uh, and so tonight we're going to be looking at this portion of scripture. We're not going to look at many verses, just a few for the time that we have. But we're going to consider what, does, what is the bride going to wear? Uh, right, that's the question you always have to ask, you know, if you're going to have a wedding, what's the bride going to wear? We'll consider that tonight. I, I, you know, sit back, don't be on the edge of your seat like that, but you're going to like it. And uh, this is an event that you and I are going to be there for. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to the last time I ever heard a, a sermon on the marriage of the bride and the bridegroom, uh, of the bride and the bridegroom, or a sermon on the marriage supper of the lamb. Um, and I could ask you, when's the last time you ever heard any 
preaching on that. Um, and it's an amazing event that you and I, the local church, a local church is making up one church that day. By the way, we'll be all assembled. Ecclesia, a called out assembly, will be one glorious assembly on that day. And there's going to be a wonderful joining together of the bride, the church, and the bridegroom. And it is going to be to the praise of God's glory. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter 19. I'll begin reading in verse number 7. Revelation chapter 19. Let's start in verse 1, just because I want to read those alleluias again. And we'll uh, end up in verse 10. But the text will be in verses 7 through 10. And I'll highlight that for you as we get there. It says in verse 1 of Revelation 19, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. I love that. Much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. And hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And that's wonderful right there. Notice now our text, verse 7 down through verse 10. It says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Now that's one of the two events we're going to look at tonight. The marriage of the Lamb, and his wife hath made herself ready. Uh, Do you know that you and I, as the bride... Um, we're, we are, I refer to us often as that, the bride of Christ. Where did I come up with that from? Uh, I don't just say it because that's what came to my mind. It's actually a biblical truth that we're going to be th- thinking about tonight. You and I as the local church, believers, are the bride of Christ. We're espoused to him. I can say it another way, more modern way. We're engaged to him. Uh, in, a, in a sense, we belong to him. Is there anything we can do to prepare ourselves for that day? Well, notice, his wife hath made herself ready. You and I should be doing that. Verse 8, And to her, uh, the wife or the uh, bride of Christ was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Now, why is it, have you ever wondered, why is it that for weddings, the bride always wears a white dress? Well, right, but who came up with that idea? And I think it's from here, right here. Um, purity, uh, yeah, holiness, righteousness, it, it, it symbolizes something. It comes from the Word of God. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So it actually tells us, it interprets for us what this linen, clean and white, represents. It is the righteousness of Or literally, it could be said, it is the righteous acts, the righteous deeds, the the things that you and I do in this lifetime that please God, uh, those are the things that are going to robe us someday when we stand before the bridegroom. Uh, How you serve the Lord is what he's talking about. Your motives. Um. Are you going through the motions of serving God, but you're doing it in the flesh, you know, kind of full of resentment? You know, I'm, I'm going to go to church, but I don't want to. You know, did you do it in the flesh, or did you, did you serve as an usher, as unto the Lord? Uh, or did you do it for men? Uh, when we serve one another, did we do it in the spirit, with love, joy, peace, long-suffering? Or do we do it... Did we do it because it was the right thing to do? Which duty's not all bad, is it? But the righteous acts of the saints, he says in verse 8. And then in verse 9 it says, And he said, he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So 
uh, in the first few, first couple of verses, we see there is the marriage of the Lamb. And then uh, now in verses 9 and 10, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I'm going to stop there. Let's pray, and then we'll look at these just four verses tonight um, in the time that we have. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, tonight as we consider something that we often don't think about, and yet is so important, and even as part of our salvation, the salvation you've provided for us. Father, help us as we think about this truth of the marriage of the church to Jesus Christ and the marriage supper, a, a supper of celebration. Father, I'm reminded that Jesus Christ talked and preached often about this truth, and it seemed to be a thrill to him. So, Father, I pray that it would be a thrill to us as well. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the marriage supper of the Lamb is a truth that the Lord Jesus Christ loved to teach about. And during his earthly ministry, he, on on several occasions, talked about it. And, and, And think with me for just a moment. Just think about that thought that I just shared with you. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he's healing people, he's living a life without sin, he's being rejected of men, Israel, by large, is rejecting him. Uh, He's raising people from the dead. He's preaching truth. And he talks to his disciples about this event through parables and other things uh, about someday there's going to be a wedding, uh, uh, a joining together, uh, finally together. uh, And it's going to be the bridegroom and the bride. Can you imagine? Now, Jesus, at that point when he was talking about these truths, hadn't died yet. This was still the hope of his calling. Uh, And he hadn't died yet. He hadn't suffered yet. He hadn't bled yet. He hadn't been raised from the dead yet. And he was talking to people and he he was doing things so that people, doing miracles so that people would believe upon him and be saved. And uh, he was already talking about what his goal was and what he longed to, to see happen. We're going to turn there later, but in Matthew chapter 22, Christ gave a parable of the marriage of of a king's son. And at the festive occasion, the king sent out servants to invite people to come here, uh, come to the wonderful event. And we're going to to look at those truths later. But there are two main parts concerning this historic event. Number one, there's the marriage of the lamb. And number two, there's the marriage supper of the lamb. So number one, I notice the marriage of the Lamb. Notice again in verse number 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now there are two parties in this wedding. Look at verse 7. What are the two parties that you see that make up this wedding? Can anybody tell me? What are they? I hear mumbling, murmuring. The lamb and his wife. Okay, two parties. So we could say there's a bridegroom. That would be one party. And there's the bride. You say, wow, Seth. Everybody knew that. I know. But uh, you just want to make sure we're all together. So who is the bridegroom? Well, the bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you like going to weddings? All right. Some honesty here tonight. That's great. Or you're just really exhausted. <laughs> well, you're going to like this wedding, okay? They, they're, they're meant to be a festive occasion. The bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. The bridegroom is the king's son in Matthew chapter 22. Look there with me, would you? Hold your place in Revelation chapter 19. Look to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, and I'll begin reading in verse number 1. I'm not going to preach through this passage, but it's the word of God. People have died for it, so you and I can take time to look there and uh, read these words that God has given to us. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 1. 
I'll read down through verse 14. It says this, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. Now, a parable is an earthly story. That's all it is. It's a story, but it has an heavenly meaning. Okay, so this isn't something that actually happened. Jesus was telling a story. But Jesus often told stories so that people could understand truths. And sometimes he gave parables to keep people who didn't believe in him from actually understanding them at all. Uh, So look at verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now, who would the king be in the parable if we're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb? It would be God the Father. Who would the son be? Okay, and uh, he's, he's going to be married. Okay, verse number three. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. In other words, there's going to be guests at this wedding. And, and, uh, and, uh, and the parable would tell it this way. God the son sent out messengers, his servants, to people, a certain group of people, to invite them to come to this glorious event. You know that it's, uh, it's, it's supposed to be uh, an honor to receive an invitation to a wedding. Sometimes you're like, is it? I think they just want a gift, you know, or money. Okay, well, sometimes there's that. But it's supposed to be an honor. Uh, you're an honored guest to be invited to. And that, that's the idea of this. And so they're bidden to the wedding. Come, come to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Uh, So they've got better things to do. They'd rather make some money. Got other things to do. You know, I don't have time for this wedding. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. Now, I can tell you who the servants were. The people who were invited by God to the wedding were God's chosen people, the people of Israel. And when God sent messengers to them to invite them, they rejected the messengers, they rejected the invitation, and in fact, they killed the prophets of God. Verse 7, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was sacked by Titus. You might remember, verse 8, then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. You've heard the term, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Um, come into what? Come into the family of God. Come in so they can be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what we're talking about. When you and I, when you and I, when you and I give the gospel to someone, we're not just hoping that they'll get saved. We're not just hoping that maybe they'll join the church. Maybe they'll come so we'll feel better about ourselves. We're not just hoping for that. We're longing for what God desires, that they'll be a part of this wonderful union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verse 10 it says, So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Verse 11, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, we, should, we could say this, what's the wedding garment? What are you supposed to wear to the wedding? What, what, what kind of a wedding garment is it? Well, we've already talked about that in Romans or Revelation chapter 19. It's, it's linen, fine, white, and clean. Um, in, in Isaiah 61 and verse 10, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with garments, listen to this, of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with with her jewels. You know that salvation and righteousness are what you and I are to be clothed with? 
And you know that we, we can only be clothed with that by the work of God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, notice what happens in verse 13 of this parable. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. You can turn back to Revelation chapter 19. The bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Long after John the Baptist had introduced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world, he also declared Jesus to be the bridegroom. John the Baptist talked about that. John the Baptist talked about Jesus, because some were saying to John, are you the Christ? And John said, no, I'm not the Christ. Uh, He's the bridegroom, and I'm just a friend which also has some meaning as well. John knew that Jesus Christ was the bridegroom of the marriage supper of the Lamb, of the marriage of the Lamb. John recognized that. He understood that. He knew and he identified Jesus Christ as both the Lamb and the bridegroom. So now who's the bride? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 2, Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused or engaged or promised you to one husband, and of course that would be Jesus Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You see, the bride of Christ is the church. The bride of Christ is the church. Look with me to Ephesians. You're not too far away from that. You're in Revelation 19. Look back to Ephesians, would you? In chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to turn to a few places tonight. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll read in verse 21. In in Ephesians chapter 5, we find that the Apostle Paul is giving the church at Ephesus some practical, uh, um, uh, easily applicable uh, truths for marriage, for a husband and a wife. And he's talking about these things. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And, uh, and yet, there's a, even a larger truth that, that he reveals in this passage, and it's about a bride and a bridegroom. Uh, look there, Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll begin reading in verse number 21. I'll read down through verse 32. So quite a few verses, so follow along, would you? He says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He wants the church to be clean. For what? Verse 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. And then he says this. I'm not talking about the physical marriage. Look at verse number 32. He says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, this has been a great mystery for a lot of years. No one understood anything about this. Nobody knew anything about this. He says, but you need to know something. You are the bride of Christ. You're going to be his wife. And you're going to submit to his leadership. And you're going to serve him. And you're going to honor him. And he's going to care for you and he's going to provide for you. And he has, he has things for you to accomplish that are beautiful that only you can accomplish, is what he's saying. This mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. Look back to Revelation chapter 19. Ephesians 5.32 clearly indicates, as we read, that the husband-wife relationship is a wonderful picture of Christ, the bridegroom, and the church, the bride. And by the way, Even that picture is evident 
even throughout our world, whenever you have a man and a woman who, who function as husband and wife and honor one another in, any semb- in even a half of a semblance of a way, to some degree, it points people to this day. Where, where the picture of Christ and the church being married and functioning the way they should, or the way they will, the, where, where that picture is made obvious to us is when you and I look at a husband-wife who, who love one another and follow the instruction of Ephesians chapter 5, you know, my children ought to be able to look at mom and dad's relationship and know something about the relationship of the church and Christ. And by the way, that's why Satan loves to destroy marriages. He doesn't, I don't really think he's that overly concerned with you, your wife, and your marriage. You know what I think he hates and what, I will say it this way, keeps him up at night? You know what really, he really hates and struggles with is the idea of a group of people called a local church or the bride of Christ, believers from all over the world, someday, God having his way in those individuals as one, the bride of Christ, being united forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan hates that. And I think that's why he hates families, and specifically marriages, so much. And he wants to see them destroyed. He wants a husband to stop loving his wife. He wants a wife not to submit herself to her own husband as unto the Lord. Why? Because Satan is attacking God Almighty. He, I don't really think he's really that concerned about you and me as individuals. Oh yeah, if he can trip, up, trip us up along the way, great. But he hates the Lord Jesus Christ, and he does not want what the Lord Jesus Christ came to accomplish, and, and what the Lord Jesus Christ knew he would accomplish. So when a, person, when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and please hear this, because we don't talk about this that much, when a person receives Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that individual becomes a member of the church, the bride of Christ, and is automatically espoused or engaged to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't, Mom and Dad, if you taught me that, I don't remember it. Uh, Seth is a five-year-old boy. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to be a spouse to Christ. I don't remember that, but that's exactly what happened. The moment I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I was a spouse to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that, w- that is God's plan. It really is a beautiful picture. Our engagement will someday be finalized at the marriage of the Lamb to his bride, which is the church. Now, where and when are, is this marriage going to take place? Well, where? Well, it seems clear that the marriage of the church to Christ will take place in heaven before Jesus Christ returns to the earth. Remember, he's going to return. It's going to be his second coming. Can anybody tell me what's going to be written on, on, on the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back the second time? Does anybody here know that? King of kings and Lord of lords. And is he going to come in peace or is he going to come in war? He's going to come in war. Because remember, the the kings of the earth, led by the Antichrist, though they have suffered greatly, hate God, and they don't want Christ to rule and reign. And their attitude is, uh, are we really going to let this man rule over us? That's their attitude. And uh, they are going to be conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. But before he returns as king of kings and lord of lords, there's going to be this marriage. And notice it in verse number 11. Verse number 11 of, of, uh, of chapter 19, it says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Verse 12, His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You ought to treasure this book that you hold in your lap. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So, 
it's going to take place, this marriage between the church and the, the, the bridegroom, the bride and the bridegroom, the church in Christ, is going to take place in heaven. Uh, when? Well, it's, it's, it's going to take place toward the end of the tribulation, just before he comes back for a second coming. Now, I will say this. It is possible that the marriage supper, which is a separate event from the marriage, it is possible that the marriage supper will will also take place in heaven before he returns, but it is also possible that that marriage supper could take place on earth at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. Um, what's, what's the bride going to wear? Isn't that what you really wanted to know, May, right? That's why you came back tonight. May Woods wanted to know, what is the bride going to wear, right? All right, all right. So here we go, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Okay, um, that's always the question. What's she going to wear? But the attire of this bride is tremendously different from the attire of the woman of chapter 17 and 18. You remember? The harlot that was spoke, spoken of there. Uh, she's wearing red and, and there's purple involved and gold and precious stones, and, and she, she's wealthy, and all those sort of things. This bride is dressed very simply, very elegantly, very beautifully, but uh, very simply, not flashy. The church is going to be dressed in the, act, in the righteous acts of the saints. Now, how can the bride make herself ready for that day? That's you and me. How can we make ourselves ready for that day? I can remember before Cindy and I were, in, were married, we were engaged, and I was working in Pennsylvania, and uh, most, of, most of the preparations were made by Cindy and her mom. And uh, in the evening, Cindy would say, hey, we did this, and this is where we're going for this, and this is what's happening, and these are going to be the colors. Do you want to see the colors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of the colors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Beautiful. Wonderful. I just want to marry you. You know, that's the, those are the colors. Uh, but I can remember on one particular uh, weekend, I think it was a Saturday, uh, I, I got to go with Cindy and her mom to pick out some things. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyway, so I can remember going and, and uh, whew, you know, the day went on and it was great. And then we got to come home eventually. But, but uh, you know, a lot of effort goes into preparing for that big day, doesn't it? And it's such an incredible day. Uh, but, but how can you and I prepare for this day? How, is there anything that we can do to prepare for this marvelous day that's going to happen? And, you know, it's hard for us. We, we sit here tonight, you know, we're half tired. We've got a week ahead of us. We've we got plans and things to do. And, you know, this, this all seems kind of far out there. You know, it's kind of hard to grab a hold of. And how do I prepare for that? I, I'm going to be there. Okay, I got you, Pastor. I'm going to be there. And I know what I'm going to wear. <laughs> but how do I prepare for that? Is there anything I can do? Yeah, there is, actually. There are a couple of truths that we need to remember when we think about preparing for that day. The first truth is that without Christ, our flesh doesn't have the ability to accomplish anything that's pleasing to God. So, in other words, anything that you and I do in our flesh of the old man, we, we can label it, I did this for God. But if we do it in the old man, and the power of the old man, the flesh... It doesn't, doesn't help do anything to prepare for that day, okay? Uh, on the flip side, if I, if I live in the power of the Spirit of God on a daily basis, it's laying up treasure in heaven where, rot, where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. You can't. What you do in the power of the Spirit of God, when you say yes to the Word of God and yes to the Spirit of God, um, it, what you do can never be taken away from you. Do you understand that? What you do over here, you're going to lose it. You know, and it might, be, it might be just entertainment today. You know, it might just be having a little bit of fun here or there and, and, and in the flesh. And it's not necessarily that it was sinful. It just was living in the flesh. Right? You're going you're to lose that. Get all you can out of it now because that's the only thing you're going to have. I'm kind of joking about that a little bit. You'd be, you and I would be better served to invest for eternity where it can never be taken away. Um, Isaiah 64 in verse 6 reminds us that before we were saved, we were all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, 
of the flesh were as filthy rags, putrefying rags is the idea. And, and Isaiah said, we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's who we used to be. Remember, what, though, what Jesus Christ told his disciples in John 15 and verse 5, without me, ye can do nothing. So whatever I do without Christ, it adds up to nothing. Um, living in the flesh, trying to serve God in the flesh, is not how we prepare for this day. And, and we all need to have that in our minds. However, on the flip side, the second truth is this, that Christ's righteousness through you pleases God. So Christ lives in me by his spirit. He lives in you by his spirit. God in you. The Colossians, Paul wrote to them, he said, the hope of glory. This is the hope that honors God. Christ living in you. And so you and I have a decision to make. We can choose to say yes to the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and temperance. And he says, against this, there is no law. Live like this. Live in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be controlled. Be led and directed by the Spirit. Not just when you're in an auditorium. And Pastor Scott says, you can sing better than that. And you did. And I did. But, but in the workplace, in your home, in your marriage. Because when you do, you're preparing yourself for that day. Are you following me at all? I have six minutes. And I'm done. Are you following me at all? My hope my longing for you as people that God has entrusted into my care is that you'll be able to stand before God Almighty someday. Across from the Lamb slain for you and for me, the bridegroom. And we'll be together. We'll be there. We'll all be there. If you're saved, we'll be there. And we'll know each other. We'll be dressed in linen, white and clean, pure. And there will be a wonderful union that we have yet to experience in our salvation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the hope. It is the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ for this day to happen. It's why he came. It was always God's desire for him to have fellowship with his creation. That's you and me. When Adam fell and when you and I lived in sin and when we live in sin, it's never been quite right. And even now, though he lives within us, this old wicked flesh. But on that day, on that day, it will be complete. It will be finalized. Again, in Ephesians 5, in verse 27, he said he might, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And the truth is that we can prepare for that wonderful day by following Christ today. We can prepare for that wonderful day by obeying his word today. I can prepare and you can prepare for that wonderful day by saying yes to the Holy Spirit of God today. And not just today, but tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow. And the day after that day. And weeks after months. You know, we can do this one day at a time, one step at a time, one truth at a time. Our service to the Lord today will translate into linen, white and clean, on that day. Now, I want to pause here, or I want to move on from the marriage, and I want to consider the marriage supper of the Lamb in the time that we have in just a couple of minutes. Now, notice in verse number 9, it says, And he saith unto, unto me, this messenger says to John, Write! And that's what John's been doing. He's been doing a lot of writing. And he says, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So this is a different event. It could be right following, immediately following, or it might be at the beginning of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Now it seems a wonderful privilege. It seems obvious from the passage. It is a wonderful privilege to be, to, to be a guest to be invited to the marriage supper. The word blessed is used, which means happy or honored. You are honored to be invited, called 
It means to be invited. So all those who are invited to the marriage feast are honored to come. Well, who are the guests? Well, we can understand who the guests are because we know who the bride is. The bride uh, is the church, and the bride, or, or, yeah, the bride is the church, and the bridegroom is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the friends of the bride and groom are also invited. Now look back to John chapter three with me, if you would. John chapter three. We'll have a little bit of insight here that's given to us in John chapter three. John chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 25. The John we're reading about here in John chapter 3 is John the Baptist, okay? John chapter 3 and verse number 25. It says, Then there arose question, a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, and of course John was a prophet, He was an Old Testament prophet. And they say, He that was with thee beyond Jordan, they're referring to Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly. John's referring to himself because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so John understood this Jesus, this is the bride. This is the bridegroom. And John says, I hear his voice. And my heart rejoices because this is the bridegroom. This is the one. And and I'm just a friend. So the Old Testament saints are going to be in heaven, but they aren't the church. And in this case, I don't believe they're the bride of Christ. I think they're the guests. And it seems to me that the marriage supper of the Lamb will be all of the Old Testament saints from Adam until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many scholars also believe, I would say this, uh, believe that all the tribulation saints who have been saved during the tribulation period, Jews and Gentiles, remember many of them are going to be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, They are not the church, but they are people who have been saved by faith prior to the church age and after the church age has concluded. These are the guests that are being invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so the marriage supper of the Lamb is a very special blessing for the church. This is not to say that Old Testament saints or tribulation saints are inferior to the church because God has special blessings for them as well that are not for the church. What will happen after the marriage of the Lamb? Well, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, and I already read a little bit there in in Revelation chapter 19, but Jesus Christ is going to return to the earth and he's going to set up his millennial reign, a thousand-year reign. And uh, 2 Timothy talks about that we are going to reign with him. Our specific role in Christ's kingdom then is going to be determined by how we live today. Um, So how can we make ourselves ready for the reign of Christ? Turn with me one last passage as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. How can we prepare for that day? Every believer, every one of us as individuals, is going to be held accountable for his life on this earth. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. It's called the Bema Seat. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul talked about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 10. It says this, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we're all building on that foundation by how we live our daily lives. Verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, the foundation of Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Speaking of the Bema seat, or the judgment seat of Christ, the place of reward for believers. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, the picture is this. Earlier on, before the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're studying tonight, there's going to be what's called the Bema seat. And Bema is the Greek word. You've heard it, though. Um, You've seen it around. Uh, It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's a place of reward. It's a day of reckoning uh, where the Lord Jesus Christ, as the judge of all the earth, is going to determine uh, if how you lived your life on this earth Uh, if you were a good steward with what he had entrusted into your care. And I'm going to stand before him as well, and I'm going to give an account for me. As a pastor, I'm going to give an account to a degree for you. But you're also going to give an account for yourself individually. And on that day, uh, some of our works are going to be like gold, silver, and precious stones, and they're going to pass through the refiner's fire, and it's going to be revealed by fire that... uh, how this lady lived her life. She lived it. She walked in the Spirit. And and it's going to come forth. It's gold, silver, and precious stones. And it's going to be to the praise and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And others of us on that day, many of us who have worked so hard for so long in our lives, but we didn't do it in the Spirit, the works are going to come into the fire and maybe like, like sticks and wood and straw and... They're going to be consumed, burned up. And it's going to be revealed by fire that day that we didn't walk in the Spirit. Oh, he was a pastor, or he was a deacon, or everybody thought he was a godly man. But he didn't really walk in the Spirit. He was more of an actor. Everyone else, he fooled us, but he didn't fool God. That's already going to be, already have taken place. In, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, he, he talks about this as well. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not with thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul talked again there about this place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.10, Paul again talks about it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. So it's according to what we have done, whether it be good or bad. You see, the result of going through the judgment seat of Christ results in the bride being given fine linen. And in Revelation 19 and verse 8, as you've read several times, it is the righteousness of the saints, the righteous act of the saints. And this is how Christ's wife will have made herself ready for the marriage. Ready for what? She has made herself ready for the marriage of the Lamb. In other words, this is, we'll end with this. Be a good steward of what God has entrusted into your care. What has he given you? He's given you time. Uh, you don't, none of us know how much more time that we have. He's given you talents. You have talents and abilities. I, I joked a little bit about singing with the quartet, but frankly, that was just a thrill to do it. I want to teach my children... Um, serve the church in any way that you can. You may not be the greatest singer, but serve him. I'm telling you, you and I are not going to be able to come back and do this. There's no do-overs. We're going to stand before the Lord with what we've done, period. Not what we wish we had done. Not what we, if I could do it again, I'd do it different. There's not going to be any do-overs. So make yourself ready. Be a good steward of what he's entrusted into your carry and carry out the will of God faithfully. What you do now and how you do it and why you do it will matter incredibly on that day. You know, as I think about this, and we'll end in prayer, but as I thought about this over the past few days, it it dawned in me, you know, the devil, before a person is saved, lies to them and says, you need to work harder. If you work hard enough, you can work your way to heaven. Is that true? That's not true. Nobody can work hard enough to work their way to heaven. 
But after you and I have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, you know what the devil then tells us? You don't have to do anything. It's all secure, and it is. Part of that's true. It's all secure. It's all paid for. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about our place in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ someday. And, and we, I don't know if we're gonna, how much we'll get into details about this in the future, but do you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign for a thousand years and then for the rest of all of eternity? And you know during that thousand-year reign that the saints, you and I, are going to rule and reign with him? And I didn't have time to turn to it today, but there's a parable I wanted to, and I wrote it down, but we didn't have time to look at it. There's a parable of the talents, and Jesus gave uh, ten talents to this guy, and five to this guy, and one to this guy, and he comes back, and, and, and this guy is doubled, and this guy's doubled, and this guy said, I buried my talent, but I still got it. Here you go. And Jesus says, take that talent away and give it to that guy over there who has, already has ten. And here's, the, and here's the truth of that parable. Some of us, we're, we're, if you're saved, you're going to heaven. You're going to be with the Lord for all of eternity. But there are different positions in Christ's kingdom. And he is not going to give you a kingdom. He's not going to give me a position, I should say, a role in his kingdom that is of more importance if I have not been a worthy steward of the things that he entrusted into my care during my lifetime. I got to tell you, that's a little unsettling to me. Oh, I'd like to believe. You know what? God saved me, and, and I'm going to heaven, and you're all, we're all going together, and we're all going to get the same amount. We're all going to get the same position. But that's not true. If we're saved, we're all going to be with him. We're all going to serve him and serve with him. But how we live our lives in this lifetime dramatically influences the day of the marriage and for all of eternity. That should be sobering to you and me. We live in a day where more and more people are walking away from church and, you know, I don't even know why I bother to go and I got better things to do for all of eternity. And I think, by the way, that's why the Lord's going to have to wipe some tears away from our eyes. Because we're going to weep and we're going to say, oh boy, I made some wrong choices. We do that in this life with finances. But that's only for this life. How we serve the Lord today is going to influence all forever, forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the